your Locked On Golden Knights, your daily podcast on the Vegas Golden Knights, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode of the Locked On VGK podcast is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and enter the promo code Locked On, and you'll get 20% off your next order. The dream of the Vegas Golden Knights going 56-0 this year is dead. But the dream of going 55-1 is still very much alive. I'm Jack Manning, and this is the Locked On VGK podcast. For the first time in nearly a year, the Vegas Golden Knights found themselves playing in front of live fans at the Gila River Arena in Glendale, Arizona, and they had a sold-out crowd of nearly 3,000 people. And while that's a small step, it's a great step in the right direction to see that the world is starting to get to a place where we can have fans. Or we're putting people in grave danger but that's a, that's a question for a different podcast and a different host altogether. Unfortunately, the presence of those fans in the building didn't give the Vegas Golden Knights much of a boost as they found themselves chasing the game nearly the entire evening. And while the Vegas Golden Knights have been exceptionally good at coming back, coming from behind in most of their games so far this season, tonight was a different story and perhaps serves as a bit of a wake-up call to the Vegas Golden Knights that there are some significant gaps in their game that they need to clean up if they're going to be the team that they want to be this year and if they're going to get back to and win the Stanley Cup Final. Robin Leonard was your starter this evening, and unfortunately, this was probably one of his worst games in a Golden Knights uniform. He was by no means terrible. I don't mean to suggest that Robin Leonard lost this game for the Vegas Golden Knights, but there were certainly a couple of goals that he would have liked to have had back. Headed into tonight's action, Leonard had saved 50 out of 54 shots, good for a 925 save percentage. But tonight was a bit of a different story, having saved only 21 out of 25 shots, uh, which was an 840 save percentage, bringing his overall save percentage on the year down to an 898. More often than not, Robin Leonard uses outstanding positioning and great presence in the net to keep the puck out, but unfortunately tonight he found himself out of position on at least two different goals, biting early on plays that ended up in the back of the net. And so while I'm not saying that this is Robin Leonard's fault by any stretch of the imagination, a couple of early soft goals really left the Vegas Golden Knights chasing the game throughout the night, and they never quite caught it. On the first goal of the evening, Connor Garland put a shot on net that produced a giant rebound off of Robin Leonard's pads. It bounced straight out to Christian Dvorak, who was able to bury it without much question. This came right after the power play, so you have to give the Golden Knights a little bit of slack, but not too much. The goal came early in the first period, just 3 minutes and 22 seconds into the game, and the Golden Knights wouldn't answer back until almost 2 minutes into the second period when, when Shea Theodore would steal the puck from Alex Goligoski, cruise in right in front of Darcy Kemper from the right side, put it over his right shoulder, giving Shea Theodore his third goal in just 2 games and making him the leading goal scorer amongst all defensemen in the entire National Hockey League with 3 goals. I don't think it's that big of a stretch to say that Shea Theodore is clearly the best defenseman on the Vegas Golden Knights, even better than Alex Petrangelo, who they just signed for a hair under $9 million. 
but he might just very well be the very best defenseman in the entire National Hockey League. That's certainly not to say that Shea Theodore had a perfect game or that his game is in perfect condition right now, but what we saw over the course of the bubble playoffs and what we've seen so far this season is that Shea Theodore has the ability to put the puck in the net more than just about any defenseman out there, and at the same time is more often than not defensively responsible, happy and able to set up his teammates for some outstanding goals. Shea Theodore really does do it all. And so when you look at a guy who's making $5.2 million through the 23-24 season, you have to wonder, is he not only best defenseman in the National Hockey League, but is he also the best contract outside of Nathan McKinnon anywhere in the NHL? But Shea Theodore, humble as ever, certainly had his own criticisms for his own game. They played a great defensive game, um, you know, and we 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 didn't execute well. Um, you know, I think we can be a lot better defensively, and especially in our transition. And um, you know, they took it to us tonight. I mean, I'm just I'm trying to just keep throwing pucks on net. Um, you know, I've been getting a lot of bounces, but um, you know, the takeaway from tonight, it's you know, it's I think. Just the, the defensive game has to sharpen up. Um, you know, I think myself can, can be a lot better, at, you know, as can the team. And, um, you know, that's something that we have to focus on going forward. All right, Shay, if you're not willing to say how great you've been so far this season, maybe Pete DeBoer will. Yeah, well, I think Theo's just picked up where he left off last year. Um, you know, he creates offense when he's out there. He has a, a great ability to find those holes. He's got a sneaky good shot. Um, you know, tough guy to defend when he's uh, up and in the rush and involved in our offense. So, uh, you know, he's, he, I think he's been very good. He's one of the guys that's pick, picked up right where he left off in the bubble. The next goal for the Coyotes really was one that Robin Leonard should have had and would probably like to have back. Despite having an absolutely clean look at the puck the whole way in, Robin Leonard was unable to stop a, a slap shot from Derek Broussard from above the left face-off circle, and, and it went in clean. No goalie can stop absolutely everything, and no goalie is going to have a perfect game every game, but that's one that Robin Leonard really should have. The next goal for the Coyotes would come just four minutes later when Nick Schmaltz would bury a puck following a turnover from Robin Leonard, and then Robin Leonard overcommits on the 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 resulting play, found himself on his knees too early, and therefore was unable to get back into position to stop Schmaltz's goal. The Golden Knights were down 3-1 to headed into the third period, and just a minute and 25 seconds into that third period, Connor Garland would score yet another goal. And sometimes you just have to give credit where credit is due. It was a great goal by Connor Garland, following an outstanding play from Drake Kajula to draw two defensemen over to cover him, leaving Connor Garland wide open to bury the puck on Robin Leonard. Knights are down 4-1. But the Golden Knights would show a little bit of life towards the end of the third period. With just 12 minutes left in the game, the Vegas Golden Knights would be the beneficiaries of a double minor and would go to work on the power play. The Golden Knights were unable to capitalize on the first half of the double minor, but they were able to capitalize on the second half giving Cody Glass his first goal of the season. Mark Stone shot the puck hard in from the left circle. Cody Glass was able to redirect the puck up and over Darcy Kemper's left shoulder, giving him his first goal on the season, his second point uh, out of three games. And this was Cody's first game back in the lineup after Nick Haig got a couple of turns on defense as the Golden Knights continued to juggle their lines, continue to juggle players in and out of the lineup so that they can so that they can pr 
prevent themselves from losing Keegan Colazar to waivers. Speaking of Keegan Colazar, who found himself playing as the 13th forward in this game, uh, in just 3 minutes and 46 seconds of ice time, Colazar was able to put up two two shots, and one of them was actually you know pr- pretty dangerous. Unfortunately, unable to capitalize, unable to find any sort of real rhythm playing as that 13th forward. As the season marches on now into the sixth game here on Sunday, it's becoming more and more difficult to justify keeping Cody Glass out of the lineup, keeping Nick Haig out of the lineup, having them trade spots back and forth to keep Keegan Colazar in. I completely understand and agree that whenever possible, you want to try and keep as many of your assets in the organization as you can. And I agree that Keegan Colazar is very likely an NHL player going forward. I don't know if he's anything more than a fourth-line player. Maybe he's a third-line player in a couple of years. But right now, as the Golden Knights are trying to push themselves towards a Stanley Cup, and the Golden Knights are in a window to win that Stanley Cup this year, you have to wonder, are they doing themselves a disservice by keeping two young players in Cody Glass and Nick Haig out of the lineup so that they can get 3 minutes and 46 seconds of ice time to Keegan Colazar. The cap structure is such that they can only afford to have 20 guys on the roster at any one time unless they make a roster move. And I don't think that it's necessarily a great idea for them to move anyone else in the Golden Knights organization to either A, accommodate Keegan Colazar, or B, make the cap space to get Cody Glass and Nick Haig into the lineup at the same time without having to waive Keegan Colazar. Now, the Golden Knights will eventually gain enough cap space just by the passage of time to get all three of those guys on the roster at the same time, and that's going to happen on March 31st of this year, and that may just be the only plausible solution here. It's not ideal, it's not great, and yes, Keegan Colazar is probably going to get more ice time than he should, and Cody Glass and Nick Haig are each going to suffer because of it, but that's the situation the Golden Knights have put themselves in by giving contracts to guys like Chandler Stevenson uh, and Nick Holden that are a little bit above the market rate, especially in this COVID world. Now, we're going to hear from Pete DeBoer in just a minute about what he thought about tonight's game. But first, a message from betonline.ag. Are we ready for some football? Because college football is heading into bowl season and there are some big matchups this weekend. Uh, The NFL regular season is finishing up with the playoff picture becoming clearer and clearer. And there is exactly one place that has you covered and one place that we trust, and that's betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use that promo code LOCKEDON to get your 50% welcome bonus. There are tons of NHL games happening every single day. Uh, In fact, I think there's a game every day between now and and the end of the season. So don't sit on the sidelines. Get in the action and don't forget to use that promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Pete DeBoer was justifiably disappointed with the outcome of tonight's game, with the Golden Knights only scoring once on a total of 12 minutes of power play time. In fact, special teams altogether for the Vegas Golden Knights were a weak spot. I actually liked our first period. I thought that, you know, at one point in the first, we're out shooting them maybe 10-5, 10-6. I thought we were into the game. Uh, They get that uh, first power play goal. Penalties really... uh, kind of took our momentum out of the game, both taking them uh, and then obviously their power play goal early 
and then uh, you know a bunch of the other kills we had to have and then you know when they did take them you know I didn't think our power play created any momentum for us so for me that was kind of the story um, you know so this is a hard league to win in and uh, you know it's tough enough to beat anyone twice in a row never mind three times in a row so we knew they were going to be good and uh, you know like I said I think we some self-inflicted uh, things tonight you know, there's always, I mean, as a coach, you're always trying to fix the issues in your game. And, and early in the season here for us, it's been obviously uh, getting getting our power play. Um, it, whether we score or not, I want to I want to see it uh, grab momentum for us, become feel like it's dangerous. You know, not not suck uh, life out of us when we get one. So. You know, we're we're not even. Never mind the goals. We're not at the point where, where we're uh, we're grabbing momentum with it. Our five-on-five five game, I think, is in a in a decent place. There's always things that get better. I think our PK, I've been overall very happy with. So, um, you know, but that's something that that's got to fix. There's a lot of penalties early in the season here, both ways, and you and you, your special teams have to be good. With the power of movie magic, I've been able to isolate the main point of what Pete was trying to get at, and I, I think it's encapsulated with this. Whether we score or not, I want to I want to see it uh, not suck. Going back as far as the playoff bubble, the Vegas Golden Knights really have struggled to put the puck in the net on the power play. In fact. At times, it seems as if the Golden Knights' penalty kill is more likely to score than the power play. There's nothing inherently wrong with the personnel they have assigned to the various power play units. Certainly, Shea Theodore knows how to put the puck in the net, as does Alex Petrangelo, Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, and, and, and Cody Glass are all effective playmakers, all have decent shots, and the power play is fundamentally sound, at least in concept. But for whatever reason, they simply cannot convert those pucks. And what I think it boils down to is that they simply haven't had enough time to work together as a group. One game, Cody Glass is in the lineup and on the top power play unit. The next game, he's sitting in the, in the bleachers. Meanwhile, the second power play unit seems to be rotating its cast of characters on the regular. When you look at the issue that really caused the Golden Knights to lose to the Dallas Stars in the playoff bubble in the Western Conference Final, what it boiled down to is that the Vegas Golden Knights simply couldn't put the puck in on the, on the power play. In fact, the Vegas Golden Knights had more power play opportunities than the, than the Tampa Bay Lightning did against the, uh, against the Dallas Stars, and the major difference was the ability to convert. So in my humble opinion... The main thing that the Vegas Golden Knights need to be working on, the main thing that the Vegas Golden Knights need to be dedicating their time in practice and any potential roster moves to is improving that power play. Again, I am not saying that they don't have the horses, that they don't have the players that they need to make a successful power play, but the entire focus of the organization in terms of improving this team needs to go to their one weak spot, and that is their ability to convert. This team's five-on-five play is unmatched by any team they've played so far. I mean, of all two teams they've played so far. But at five-on-five, they've been they controlled tonight 56.5% of the scoring chances. They controlled 63% of the high-danger scoring chances. And they simply weren't able to convert enough to make it worthwhile. If you look at the advanced stats that this team has put up over the course of the last year... 
There are few teams that have had more expected goals for. Few, few teams have had fewer expected goals against. But that being said, this team isn't trying to win the expected Stanley Cup. They're trying to win the real Stanley Cup, the one that requires you to score real goals and not expected goals. And so everything they're doing is sound. The way they are playing is absolutely sound. But they need to figure out how to convert. It would be disingenuous for me to try to suggest that I know what it will take to fix this power play. Because I don't. And you have some of the best hockey minds in the entire industry looking at how to resolve these issues. But if I were going to take a stab in the dark, if I were going to take a guess as to how to fix these issues, the first thing I would start with is to create stable units that are going to play the same way game in and game out so they have a chance to develop a rhythm. More often than not, hockey doesn't necessarily come down to the X's and O's. It doesn't necessarily come down to the people you have on the ice, but it comes down to the chemistry of the players and their ability to find a groove. And what this team has been lacking, to some degree, ever since the very first inaugural season, is their ability to find that magic. Their ability to find that certain je ne sais quoi. I bet you didn't know that this was a, a bilingual podcast, did you? Their inability to find that certain je ne sais quoi that it takes for the whole of a team to be more than the sum of its parts. That's what they had in that year one. They had a group of individuals that on paper looked like a basement team. But what they were able to do is find that magic, find that, find that ability to click on all cylinders and know where the other guy was going to be at all times. And I wish that I could say that it, oh, Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty don't work well together on the power play. Well, that, that's not accurate. Because if it was just about those two players, then you would still see Jonathan Marcheseau and, and Riley Smith dominating on, on their power play unit. But you don't. And so as to what that je ne sais quoi is that they're missing, I will leave that up to Pete DeBoer to figure out and, and the power play staff. But if they don't figure it out before the end of the season, we're going to have another very frustrating playoff run. After the break, we're going to take a few of your mailbag questions. Uh, but first, I want to tell you about the Locked On Today podcast, because you need to get more of the sports news you need in less time with our new Locked On Today podcast. Uh, Peter Bukowski hosts Locked On Today, a daily podcast breaking down the biggest stories with analysis from our local experts. Start your day with all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to Locked On Today wherever you get podcasts. From time to time, we'll be doing a mailbag segment here on the Locked On VGK podcast where you can ask anything and everything you want about the Vegas Golden Knights, the NHL generally, uh, NHL prospects. <laughs> Vegas Golden Knights prospects, anything you'd like about the Vegas Golden Knights, the Henderson Silver Knights, or any of their prospects, this is your opportunity to ask someone who pretends to be an expert. This is your opportunity to ask me absolutely anything. Uh, so we're going to do a segment today, but if you want to get your own question in, make sure you shoot me a message on Twitter at NHL Jack Manning, and I'll do my best to get it on the show. So we'll go ahead and open up the mailbag here, and our first question comes from Timothy Hansford, and he asks, do you see Tuck and Wah as a more permanent pair on the third line, and he likes that, or do you see them pushing into the second line eventually? In other words, as we lose our top six over time, will they acquire new ones, or are they looking at those two eventually pushing into top six roles? Well, I will say this. 
Alex Tuck is likely too good for the third line. I'll say this. Alex Tuck in any other organization is likely a top six forward. And my guess is that over the coming years, he's going to push harder and harder for a for a role in that top six. But when you look at what's ahead of the when you look at what's ahead of Alex Tuck, but when you look at who's ahead of Alex Tuck in the lineup, uh, especially on that right wing, you've got Mark Stone and Riley Smith. And the, the bottom line is right now, Riley Smith and Mark Stone are clearly better players than Alex Tuck. And that's no no slight to Alex Tuck at all. Riley Smith is a 30-goal scorer. Uh, Mark Stone is leading the league in points with eight right now. These are outstanding players that belong in the top six. And so the other option would be to switch uh, one of those players over to the left side, but then you're pushing out a player like Marcia So or Pacioretty. Now, I do expect that you know, Max Pacioretty and Jonathan Marcia So are probably on their last deals with Vegas. Now, I do expect that Max Pacioretty and Jonathan Marcheseau have a limited future in Vegas, if only because they're both on the wrong side of 30. And especially with Max Pacioretty, he will be 35 sooner rather than later. And at some point, the production is going to slow down and their ability to play up in the lineup is probably going to diminish. So, yeah, I do see Alex Tuck eventually pushing himself into a top six role. I think the same thing is possible for, for Nick Waugh, but probably not to the same likelihood. Nick Waugh was, at least as, as a prospect, always viewed as a, a bottom-of-the-lineup guy, a third- or a fourth-line guy. I think there's an ability for Nick Waugh to push himself and, and develop even further to get into maybe a second-line role. But the truth is, if Nick Waugh is your th- first-line center, there's a problem. And that's prob- the same is probably true of Chandler Stevenson, but that's a different question for a different day. But the one caveat that I'll offer to that is that Nick Waugh's development curve ha- has been very, very steep, meaning that he's gotten much better at a much faster rate than you might expect from a guy who's already pushing 24 years old. He is continuing to improve, continuing to develop, and generally speaking, a forward's best and most productive years are somewhere in that 25 to 28 age range. And so the best of Nick Waugh is is right here, is right on the doorstep. And so if he's going to claim a role like that, now has got to be the time. Between Cody Glass, Peyton Krebs, and Ivan Morozov, there are three very good young centers who are coming into the Vegas Golden Knights organization and are going to be ready to compete for those top six jobs with Nick Waugh sooner rather than later. Ivan Morozov is going to have an opportunity to sign with the Vegas Golden Knights as early as April 30th, 2022, and he's already playing in a top six role for Scott St. Petersburg, which is if not the best team in the KHL, certainly among them, and has one of the most talented top six groups in the entire KHL. And so you would expect that he would be able to walk right onto this team because he's already playing on North American-sized ice over in the KHL, and he's playing with bottom-of-the-lineup NHL-caliber players, and he leads all players under the age of 21 in scoring over in the KHL. So you would expect that he's going to be able to make a pretty sizable impact as soon as he comes over. Whether or not he's a top-six player is probably up to Nick Waugh. But that doesn't account for Cody Glass, who's already trying to push himself into a top-six role, even if he's not ready for it right this moment. 
Cody Glass is still dealing with the effects of his injury. He he mentioned in his uh, post-game interview this evening that he's still working to strengthen that knee. So once he's fully healthy, once he's back in the lineup as a full-time contributor, my expectation is he's going to be pushing for that job probably by the end of this year. And of course, there's also the, the potential that Peyton Krebs steps up and, and is a able to claim a top six role sooner rather than later after an outstanding World Junior performance. My guess is that Peyton Krebs won't be playing regular minutes for the Vegas Golden Knights, at least at center uh, this year, but sooner rather than later, he's going to be in the lineup as well. So can Nick Waugh beat all three of those guys in addition to Chandler Stevenson and William Carlson? I think he's going to be hard-pressed to do it. I'm optimistic for him. I'm hopeful for him, but he's going to be hard-pressed. So the question that will ultimately have to be answered is, does the chemistry of Nick Waugh and Alex Tuck justify keeping them together if one of them is deserving of being in a top six role, but the other one isn't quite there? And I would suggest that teams do best when they find duos that play extremely well together. I'm just not confident that Nick Waugh is the absolute best duo partner for Alex Tuck. There's no doubt that they've got a lot of great chemistry together. But before I'm willing to tie Nick Waugh to Alex Tuck for the rest of their careers, I'd like to give an opportunity to Alex Tuck to play up the lineup to see what a more creative center, someone who can distribute the puck and bury the puck with a little bit more frequency is able to do. So thanks to Timothy for submitting that mailbag question. I'm going to get to a number of those other questions that folks submitted on Monday's episode. But if you want to get your question answered, please shoot me a comment on Twitter at NHL Jack Manning. I'll do my best to get your question on the show. I want to take a second now to tell you about the Locked On Fantasy podcast. Get the upper hand in your fantasy league with daily fantasy hockey advice from Locked On Fantasy Hockey. Uh, fantasy hockey expert Scott Cohen gives you the tips, insights, and analysis for season-long Dynasty and DFS leagues, breaking down all the stats and information to keep you ahead of the competition. Subscribe to Locked On Fantasy Hockey Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, so thank you, everybody, for, for joining me. Thanks for joining me for yet another Locked On VGK podcast. Remember, my name is Jack Manning. You can find everything that I do on my Twitter feed at NHL Jack Manning, or you can go directly to DauberProspects.com where you can read what I write about prospects. You can also find my other podcasts that I co-host with AJ Alexander at GoldenKnightsWatch.com. But please check out my Twitter page where I usually post all of the Golden Knights prospects highlights that come in on a daily basis. So again, I'm Jack Manning. You can find me at NHL Jack Manning, and we'll talk to you on Monday.